Good morning, Awaken Church, on the second to last of our Sundays here at Old Settlers. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Ryan. I'm blessed to serve as one of the pastors here. And on behalf of our team, let me just add my welcome to those of you who have already uh, heard and, and experienced. We're excited to be entering into a new sermon series this morning, a sermon series that we are calling Questions Jesus Asked. Questions Jesus asked. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And what I trust you'll discover is that there is a whole lot more that we can learn from answering the questions that Jesus asked of us than in simply looking for the answers to the questions that we have for him. Now, how do I know this? Well, to be honest, it's honestly just simple math. Okay, if you look to the words of Jesus in the Gospels, you will see he asks a total of 307 questions. 307. It's quite a bit, right? Meanwhile, he only directly answers about eight of the questions that are asked of him. You don't need to be a mathematician to figure this out, right? To figure out what Jesus' approach is here, right? He chose very intentionally not, not to come and to dwell among us just to give us all the answers, he chose instead to, to ask the kinds of questions that would reveal the truths of who he is. And that would invite us into the real relationship that he longs to have with each of us. There's just one problem, though. Right, we haven't been trained to engage with questions. If anything, in our society, we've been trained to hunt for answers. I mean, just think about it, right? When you, when you want to know something, something comes up in conversation or even just a, a question emerges in your mind, what do you do? You probably go to Google, right? Or you call out to your nearest like voice assistant. Hey Alexa, hey Siri, hey, hey Google, whatever it is. We've been trained to hunt for answers. We've been trained to believe that the, the answers to all of life's questions, even the most important ones, they lie somewhere out there and our goal is to go and to find them. The only problem is, right, those answers don't exist out there. I asked Siri the other day what the purpose of life is and she said something about traveling. Seriously, the questions to life's most important answers, they, or the most important questions, they don't, they don't lie out there, right? They lie in here. That's why Jesus came and he asked question after question. It wasn't to quiz people or it wasn't to put them to shame for not knowing the answers. No, he came and asked questions to reveal the truth of who he is, to reveal the purpose that he had for their lives. And he always asked it in a way that left them really no choice but to respond for themselves. And the good news for us is that he doesn't just do this throughout the Gospels, right? He still does this today, using the power of one simple question to transform our hearts and to transform our lives. I wonder if you've ever been asked a question like that. I know I have. I was asked a question like this once, and it's actually the question that led to me standing before you today. It wasn't like Jesus coming to me in a dream. It wasn't the, the audible voice of God speaking down from heaven. Instead, it was a question asked to me by my good buddy, Johnny Huddle. I've got a picture of me and Johnny they're going to put up here on the screen behind me. And see, Johnny, uh, he asked me to lunch one day. Unbeknownst to Johnny, I had sensed for several years, probably a decade really, this call towards ministry. Right, but up until this point, I had managed to sort of like juke out Jesus, right? Like you guys know what I'm talking about? Like give like the, the Heisman, right? God calls you to something in your life. I had managed to do that, right? To juke him out, or so I thought. See, because that day over, over lunch at George's Greek restaurant in, in Long Beach, California, my favorite spot, Johnny asked me a question that I will never, ever forget. 
It's a question I believe came straight from the Lord. He was telling me about this, this ministry role he thought it would be a good fit for. And he stopped and he said, so Ryan, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? And I'm, I'm pretty sure Johnny was just asking me, like, hey, like, what kind of salary do you need? You know, what does this role need to look like? But what God did is he used that one question to pierce my heart. Johnny may have been asking, what's it going to take? But I heard the voice of God saying, Ryan, what are you really chasing after? What is it that you really want for your life? What's it going to take for you to actually surrender to my will? See, God could have just given me the answer. He could have just forced me down that path that he had prepared for me. But in his grace and in his mercy, he asked this one simple question. And it changed my life forever. I mean, in that moment, I said, all right, God, whatever it is that you're asking, I don't even know what's on the other side of that question. But the answer is yes. You know, my life hasn't been the same. My life has not been the same. My hope and my prayer for this series, for this time here this morning, for the next six weeks, is that God would use these questions to do the same thing for you. To reveal the truths of who he is. To invite you into that loving relationship. And to show you the purpose that he has for your life through these questions Jesus asked. Would you pause and pray with me? Father, it is such a joy to love you and to be loved by you. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that you show us each and every day. Lord, would you speak to us now? Speak to us through your word, revealing to us, Lord, those truths of who you are. And who have you called us to be through those words, those questions that your son asked? It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps with you, I want to encourage you to get those out. Turn with me to the book of John. It'll be after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to be in John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1 is where we find Jesus really at the outset of his earthly ministry. Jesus is just getting started. And, and at this point where we find him, he's yet to really reveal his identity. Right? Nobody really knows this is the Messiah, except for this dude named John the Baptist. He sort of spoils that for some of his disciples. Okay, so just before this passage we're going to read, John the Baptist, he says, Hey, this is the Lamb of God, the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. And so here in verse 35, following that declaration, following this revelation from John the Baptist, Jesus is going to usher in his ministry. And notice it's not with a miracle. It's not with even a sermon. It's with one simple question. Join me if you would, beginning in verse 35. It says, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So what we have here are two disciples who were following John the Baptist who just sort of leave him in the dust to go and follow Jesus. And if you don't really know what's going on here, it might seem kind of messed up that these guys, just, they just leave their, their, their teacher in the dust. 
But if you look at what John says about Jesus, then you'll understand why. He calls him the Lamb of God. What John is saying is he's like, hey, guys, look at that guy over there. This is the guy I've been telling you about. This is the one that the scriptures speak about, the one that Isaiah prophesied about, the one who would bear the iniquity of us all, the one who would come and, and sacrifice himself for our sins. This is that dude. Right? So it's no wonder why they would just ditch John the Baptist, right? They didn't talk about it amongst themselves. No, they just went after Jesus. They just went after him. And I love what Jesus does. Right? In the conversation that follows, we see Jesus make three distinct moves. Three very distinct moves. First, he's going to engage them with a question. Second, he's going to invite them. And lastly, he's going to deliver to them a promise. It's a question, it's an invitation, and it's a promise. Let's start by diving deeper into that question that Jesus asks. He says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? In other words, what do you want? What are you hoping for? What are you chasing after? What do you expect? It doesn't matter which way you phrase it, right? This question that Jesus is asking, it's, it's a pretty open-ended one. And yes, it may have been directed initially at just those two disciples, but it's also applicable to each one of us here today. And if it strikes you as a bit of an odd question for Jesus to ask in that moment, it's, it's probably because we have a different understanding nowadays of what it means to follow someone. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Like we hear that terminology in our minds probably go straight to social media. When it comes to social media, think about it. The, the goal of, of following, right, it, it, you're just trying to acquire as many followers as you can. Like, let's be honest, that's the goal of social media. I know some of you are like the, the, the private social media type, which is really just an oxymoron. Like, let's be honest. But, but the whole goal is to acquire followers, but not with Jesus. See, Jesus isn't interested in building a brand. He's interested in building his church. Right? So he asked this question very specifically to reveal the desires that are in the hearts of these men. And in doing so, what he's able to do through his word is to ask those same questions and reveal those same desires of us. So let me turn that question now towards you and ask you, what are you seeking? What do you want? Why are you here? What is it that you are chasing after? So I think if you are truly to be honest in answering that question, you might just say, you know what, Pastor Ryan, I just want a close friend. I just want somebody I can trust. Or, you know, I, I want my work to make a difference. Like, I, I want to make an impact. Or I want my husband to change. I want my marriage to get easier. I want my, my addiction to go away. I want my kid to come home. I want my depression to lift. What is it that you're after? Why are you here? Like this morning, why are you here? What is it that you were expecting? It's important that we answer this question for ourselves. See, because if all you're after are those, those temporary and worldly things, even if they're, they're, they're good things, even if the motives are good, if that's all you're after, then you will never truly be satisfied. See, because what lies underneath all of those desires is really a hunger for heaven. It's a hunger for heaven. This is what King Solomon points us to. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says that God has placed eternity on our hearts. What he's saying is that God has instilled a hunger within us, this deeper desire for more, right? This need that the world cannot meet, a hunger that nothing on this earth could ever satisfy. 
So it's no wonder that when we look around at our, at our relationships, at our possessions, at our jobs, at all these things that we're so dissatisfied. Because God has placed a hunger for heaven in our hearts. Each and every one of us, he's placed a hunger in our hearts. The choice that we have is how we respond to that. The choice we have is how we respond to that hunger. So I want to show you what it looks like in my house to respond to hunger. Some of you may not know this about me yet, uh, but I've got a love language. And it is not quality time. It's not words of affirmation. It's not physical touch. My love language is right here. It's snacks. Y'all, I love snacks. You can ask my wife, Lindsay. You can ask Pastor Daniel, Pastor Josiah. Those who spend time around me, they know that if I'm not snacking, I'm probably thinking about snacking, right? And so what happens is, like, this happens every few minutes where I'll, you know, my tummy start rumbling a little bit, right? And so I'll head over to our pantry or to our fridge, and I'll just mindlessly grab something, right? This is my ultimate weakness, y'all, granola bars, like, for sure. I love granola bars. It's honestly why I chose to do this sermon illustration. I just wanted to eat granola bar up on stage. But I also love these little cookies. These are really good too. And raisins. Every meal pretty much. I'll just, yeah, you know. I basically have the diet of like an eight-year-old. I love any snacks except the vegetables, right? Vegetables are a result of the fall. Those are horrible. <laughs> I legit looked this up. In Genesis, you never hear any record of them eating vegetables. It's all fruit, okay? <laughs> but I, <laughs> let me tell you what happens when I feed myself with things that can't and don't and won't ever satisfy. I went back up at that same pantry eight minutes later mindlessly grabbing for something else, something that will never truly satisfy. I get the feeling some of you can relate to that, that physical hunger. Some of y'all like me have that tendency to go to the pantry maybe a little bit too often. But I also get the feeling that this is not just how you respond to physical hunger. It's how you've been responding to your hunger for heaven as well. So let me ask you, what sort of worldly things have you been binging on lately? What sort of things have you just been sort of mindlessly grabbing at, hoping that they will satisfy those desires of your heart? Family, it's time we wake up to the reality that you have been, been filling your life with a bunch of junk that you don't need. A bunch of junk that was never meant to satisfy you. You've been trying to feed your hunger for heaven with things of this world, but none of these things, not even the best things in your life will ever satisfy you because they were never meant to. There was only one thing that will ever satisfy you, and that is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not what he can do for you, the things that he can give to you. It is just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And see, I think the reality is these disciples, I got to get this out of here. I'm just keep eating. <laughs> the disciples, they knew this at an early stage. That's why their response to Jesus is so dramatically different from those that were around them. Because remember, as Jesus' ministry is getting started, he has thousands upon thousands who come out to hear him speak. Right, thousands upon thousands who come to have their, their bellies filled and their sicknesses healed. But each one of them, once they get what they came for, they go home unchanged. And what breaks my heart is that we're here 2,000 years later and, and people are still seeing Jesus the same way. 
Thousands upon thousands come into church buildings every single Sunday. Thousands upon thousands just want to have their, their bellies filled and their sicknesses healed. But once they get what they came for, man, they're right out that door going back home unchanged. These two disciples, they saw what most others looked right past. Many of you, you see what others ignore. That the true reward found in Jesus is just Jesus. It's just Jesus. I think that's what these disciples were getting at when they responded to Jesus' question with a question of their own. They wanted to know where he was staying because they wanted to, to stay with him, to sit with him, to, to learn from him, to abide with him. That's why they ask him that question. And notice how Jesus responds. He makes that second move, and he responds immediately with an invitation. He says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. Notice Jesus responds immediately with an invitation. That is always how Jesus responds to our pursuit. It's the song we sang just before we spent time in the word this morning. He is faithful to answer. And he answers here with an invitation. Right? He doesn't make you fill out an application. Right? He doesn't put you through a screening process. He doesn't make you sit through a mandatory waiting period. No, he always and immediately responds to your pursuit with an invitation. We see this all throughout the Gospels. You can look at just about any story. Anybody that pursues Jesus, he responds with an invitation. Matthew 19, all the, the young kids are trying to, to pursue Jesus, and the disciples are like shooing him away, and he says, no, let them come to me. Mark chapter 10, Bartimaeus cries out from the roadside. He's unable even to, to physically himself pursue Jesus, but Jesus responds to the pursuit of his heart with an invitation to come and to see. Jesus always responds to our pursuit with an invitation. And the, the invitation, it, it, it's never to, to do. It's always to come. I think that's important for us, especially those who've been following Jesus for a while. We see these invitations as something that we have to do, but Jesus just says, come, see, behold, sit, wait, abide. That's all Jesus is asking. That you would just slow down long enough to look at him. It's had so much to ask, family. See, here's the thing I want you to understand. At the core of every single one of your relationships, the thing that they're, they're, they're rooted in and they're founded on is your attention. It's your attention. Your attention is what separates your relationship with your, your spouse from your relationship with the Starbucks barista. It's what separates your relationship with your best friend from the bagger at H-E-B. I know you're thinking, Pastor Ryan, I don't have a relationship with my barista or with my bagger. And that's exactly my point. You don't have a relationship with them because you never pay them any attention. You're just there to get what you need and to get on with your life. Some of y'all don't even make eye contact with your barista or with your, with your bagger. You're just there to get what you need. But when you slow down long enough to look at somebody, to actually truly see them, what happens? A relationship is formed. A relationship is formed. It's no different with Jesus. See, because if all you're doing when you come here on Sundays or when you walk into life, or even when you open up your Bible, is just trying to get what you need to get on with your life, is you're settling for a transaction. You're settling for a transaction. But if you slow down long enough to actually look at Jesus, to give him your attention, you will see him for who he truly is. He is the source of your transformation. 
not a transaction. It's about transformation. This is what's on the other side of his invitation. Because when you come and when you see Jesus, right, when you actually look at him, beholding who he is, your life is never the same. I guarantee it. This is why John spends his entire gospel repeating this command to behold. Right? We just read seven verses and five different times he uses this verb for looking or for seeing. Because John wants us to understand that when we look to Jesus, we become like Jesus. When we look to Jesus, we become like Jesus. When we fix our eyes on him, we engage in a relationship. When we give him our attention, we engage in this relationship that brings about deep change in our hearts. And that satisfaction that this world can't provide. So let me ask you, are you coming to Jesus for a transaction? Or are you looking to him for transformation? Are you coming to Jesus for a transaction or are you looking to him for transformation? This is not a rhetorical question. Because if a transaction is all you're after, then y'all, you can keep coming. You can keep coming, you can keep taking, but your life is never going to change. You will always be hungry. You will always experience those hunger pains. But if it's transformation that you're after, then you won't respond to Jesus' question with a list of demands here today. Right? You will respond rather by expressing the desire of your heart, maybe even asking a question like these disciples did. Lord, where can I go? to spend more time with you? Where can I go to learn from you, just to sit with you, just to abide with you? Where can I go just to give you my undivided attention? See, these disciples, they ask Jesus for an address because their desire is not to take from Jesus, but to abide with him. What's the desire of your heart this morning? Transaction or transformation? Because the same invitation that Jesus extends to each of these disciples, he's extending to you here today as well. He says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. That leads us finally to the promise. Remember, Jesus asked the question, what are you seeking? He extends that invitation, come and you will see. And then lastly, he follows that up with a promise. You might be thinking, Pastor Ryan, I didn't see a promise in there. Well, I'm going to show it to you. Look with me, if you would, at verse 42 as I invite the band back up. John tells us that Andrew went and brought his brother Simon to Jesus. And he says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What I want to make sure you see this morning is that by giving Simon this nickname, by changing his name, Jesus is actually delivering a promise. He's actually delivering a promise. And if you know your Bible, if you look back at the Old Testament, you will know that God does this. Often, he changes the name of his people, and when he does that, he gives them a new identity, and he gives them a new mission. Right? This is what happened when Abram became Abraham, when Jacob became Israel, when Saul would eventually become Paul. In each of these moments, it's more than just a simple change of a name. In each of these moments, God is delivering a promise. It's not a commitment to fulfill their fleshly desires. It's a commitment to change them from the inside out, right? to give them a new identity, to give them that new mission. And family, in the same way that Jesus' his question and his invitation are extended to you, so too is his promise. See, because in the same way that Jesus looked at Peter, he's looking at you today. 
In the same way Jesus looked at Peter, he's looking at you. In verse 42, John tells us that, that Jesus looked at Peter. And if you read that quickly, you'll just think of it like as a, as a passing glance. But the word that John uses, it's much more intentional. It's a much deeper look. The closest thing that I can think of when I think of this kind of look is the way that I look at my son. I've got a picture here. I'm not even going to turn around and look at it. It's going to make me cry. This picture is from Caleb's first day of preschool. And I'll never forget in that moment when I looked into his eyes, I saw like all of the memories from his first four or five years. I remember seeing the day that he was born. I remember seeing his first steps, like all those, those memories, they just came crashing over me. I think when Jesus looked at, at Peter, it was one of these kind of looks. The only difference is that when I looked at Caleb, all I could see was who he was in that moment. All I could see was, was who, he, who he had been. But when Jesus looks at Peter, he saw who he was, who he had been, and who he would be. So Jesus looks at Peter, and he sees the, the rough around the edges fisherman that he was. He sees the cocky and arrogant guy that he would continue to be. But he also saw the foundation of his church that he would become. When Jesus looks at you, he sees who you are. He sees who you have been. And he sees who you will be. Now don't get it twisted. Jesus also saw the coward who would deny him. He also saw the man who would continue to, to break promises, who would continue to step out of his lane and do things he maybe shouldn't have done. And even still, he gave him this name. He says, you are a rock. This is your identity. This is your mission. He says, Peter, this is my promise to you, and nothing you will ever do will ever take this promise away from you. Family, I want you to know that in the same way Jesus looked at Peter, he is looking at you. He sees who you are. He sees who you have been. He sees who you will be. Because before you could ever behold him, he beheld you. He sees every betrayal, right? He knows every broken promise. And he chooses you still. The good news of the gospel tells us that the kingdom of God never depended on our promise. Thank goodness. That it only depended on his. The kingdom of God only depended on the promise of Jesus. And that promise has already been delivered, right? He already came. He already died and he already rose again just like he said that he would. And now he's looking at you. Asking that question. Extending that invitation and delivering to you that same promise. Would you come and see? Would you come and receive? Would you come and be transformed? Family, all I want to ask you to do this morning it's just to slow down. Would you slow down long enough to give Jesus your attention? To hear whatever it is he has to tell you. I can't tell you what those words would be. But what I do want to do is I want to give you time just to sit at his feet this morning. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to invite you just to a place of rest. 
some of you move so fast that it's hard to find time just to slow down and to give Jesus your attention. So I want to give you that now, and I want to invite you. Whatever it looks like for you, would you abide with Jesus this morning? Would you allow yourself just to look at his face, to hear and to receive the truth that he has to speak over you today?